Good morning, St. Paul and St. Andrew. Um, Morning, yeah, exactly. It's a good morning. Um, For the guests and first-time visitors in the room, you might be wondering who I am. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not Kay Carpin. I'm not Pastor Vicky. I'm not Lee Matthews. Uh, My name is Jonathan Lee, um, and I have been SPSA's summer intern for the past several weeks. I'll be here for the rest of July. Thank you. Um, And they've They've pawned this Sunday off to me so, um, so they can have a, you know, a longer, a bit longer vacation. So um, uh, we'll go through this sermon together and hopefully um, we'll all have a good time. So I want to begin this sermon with a bit of a congregational activity. Um, at your pew or nearby you, you should see a leaf. Does everyone, yeah, the leaves, yeah. If you see one or maybe there's one nearby you, you can pick it up. Um, you know, if someone doesn't have a leaf, you know, reach over pick one up, share with the people next to you um, so that everyone gets a chance to participate. Okay. So for, the, yes, for this activity, or does everyone have a leaf? We'll wait a bit just in case. I wasn't sure where people were going to be sitting, so I just kind of scattered them around like seeds, as we heard today. Um, so for this activity, I want everybody, all of you, to just look at your leaf. Really examine every single detail. Maybe you can rub your fingers across the surface and feel every groove and hill. You can ask yourself, what kind of uh, tree did this leaf come from? Maybe you can channel the last bits of your high school biology or bio 101 classes and can think of the leaf as kind of a factory. You know, you have the little cells with their nucleus, nuclei maybe, their chloroplast, the mitochondria, all in this kind of a soup that is the cell. If the leaf could talk, what kind of story would it tell you? Those are the kinds of things I want you to be thinking about for the next few minutes. Uh, So you might be wondering, what does this have to do with anything, much less Jonathan's sermon? Um, Well, most, like like many of you, I went most of my life never really considering the leaf. Yes, I, you know, I, I knew what a leaf... I know what a leaf is, and I learned about it in class, but I never took the time to just sit down and think about a leaf and just look at it. That is, I didn't think about leaves that much until I spent several months living in Maine during my junior year in high school. I'll spare you most of the details, but I was in Maine for a high school um, semester program, and one of our assignments was called a phenology project. Now, for those of you that don't know, phenology is related to the word phenomena and is the study of cyclical and natural occurrences like the tides or seasons. The way it was described to me was as the study of something over time. And so this assignment that we were given, it was very simple. Just, um, it was very simple. We were to go find a place on campus, go every week, and record how it changes. Uh, We could do this however we wanted to. Some people took photos, some people wrote poems. Really, again, it was up to us to describe and to record how this one place would change over the course of the semester. And so for my phenology project, being from North Carolina um, and, you know, craving some good old mountain fall foliage, I decided to climb a hill and I chose a spot that overlooks um, the woods, the local woods. And so every week for the semester, I would walk maybe 10 minutes to get there, you know, walking over the roots and rocks and going through white pines and red spruces. And for the first few weeks, I didn't do much there. I didn't really know what to do. Um, I mostly just sat. I looked at the trees, you know took a couple of pictures, and then I promptly went back down the hill so that I can go to my computer and watch YouTube videos. I'll be honest there. (laughs) But as the weeks went on, I began to cherish those times even more. 
I began, you know, bending down and watching the ants as they scurried around in the moss. I imagined what kind of animals, what the animals, animals would, would be doing. You know, there's porcupine, wild porcupine, red, red squirrels that would scamper around. And I'm thinking, what are these animals doing while I'm not here? I'd see a chickadee, and I'd wait to hear it, its iconic call, because we've been learning bird calls in this class. That's the kind of school this is, if you, if you haven't had a picture yet. And so it was there being forced to sit on a hill for maybe 30 to 45 minutes a week that I finally took the time to sit down and just look at a leaf. Now I'm going to read for you a passage from Psalm 65. While I do, continue to look at your leaf, and I want you to think back at the things I told you a while ago. Again, look at it. What is the leaf story? Touch it. Maybe you can, maybe you can smell it. Um, don't, don't try it, but what would the leaf taste like, perhaps? I want you to engage all the senses. And I want you to look at it and try and consider everything that went into making this one leaf, everything that the leaf might have gone through. And maybe you'll hear something different in this passage that I'm about to read for you. So again, um, this is Psalm 65, um, verses 1 through 13. It's an abridged version, so don't worry. Um, Praise awaits you, our God in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. You who answer prayer, to you all people will come. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. You who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty, and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow, the hills are clothed with gladness, the meadows are covered with flocks, and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy, and they sing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So after my semester in Maine, two things happened. On one hand, I found a new love and appreciation for nature. This school was the place where I learned what it feels like to reach your hand underneath a chicken and feel its warmth as you reach out the egg from underneath. This was the place where I learned how to connect those dots in the sky into monsters and warriors and learn of stories from long ago. This is the place where I learned how much force you really need um, to squeeze out milk as you pull down on the teat of a cow between your thumb and your palm. All these experiences gave me a new appreciation for the world around me that I never bothered to consider before. And a quick aside, um, this is for, you know, Pastor Vicky, because how many people in this room have milked a cow before? Just a, raise, a short raise of hands. Wow, that's a good number of people. You know, Pastor Vicky really wanted me to find out because she's never milked a cow. So maybe one of you amazing people can help teach her one day. <laughs> so a few months later, after going back to Charlotte, I realized, well, this is the second thing that I'm talking about. Um, I realized a second thing had come out of my main semester, and this was a love of nature as a part of God's creation. See, the reason I became so enthralled with a leaf was twofold. On one hand, I became fascinated that a leaf, something so tiny and so thin, 
look, look at it, uh, could be the powerhouse for such an important and essential task to create oxygen. As we spent more time in the classroom discussing the local environments and how each part was connected to one another, how each part relied on one another, I realized how essential this leaf was to this entire system. Without it and the services it provides, everything around me, everything that I see around me in this woods would fall apart. And I realized that this wasn't just thanks to chance either. This semester was the first time where I began to take my faith seriously as I engaged in, in daily prayer and intentional scripture reading. After all, this was four months of living in the woods of Maine. I was no longer forced to go to church every Sunday by my parents. There were no youth group Sunday school services. Uh, many of the students at the school were not Christian. I realized that if I was going to be serious about this thing that I called my religion, my faith, then I needed to spend the time and be serious about it too in my actions. And by doing so, I began to see God's actions in everything around me. From my new friends and experiences to my education and to this leaf, I began to see God actively working and making an impact in my life. Before I knew it, my faith and newfound interest in, environment, in the environment had melded together, where each part built upon and strengthened the other. For me, just as this leaf was a perfectly knitted combination of hydrogens and carbons, so too did it become proof of a great intention and thought of a plan and purpose bigger than what I could see in the small green object lying in my palm. So this made in me a new understanding of nature, one that aligns with the psalm that I just read. So Psalm 65 is supposed to be a psalm of thanksgiving. Here, God isn't just a passive force, but an active one. The psalmist writes how God answers prayers, forgives transgressions, and answers people with awesome and righteous deeds. For this, the psalmist tells us that we owe all our praise to God, that everything that we do is in glory and thanks to him, or to God. God isn't just responding to humanity, however, but is actively engaged with the rest of creation as well. The psalmist writes about how God formed the mountains with power and stilled the roaring of the seas and waves. The God in Zion waters, enriches, and cares for the land. God drenches the furrows and levels the ridges. And we are told nature isn't oblivious to these acts. Just as the psalmist writes about people giving their praises to God, so too does nature praise the Lord. For covering them with flocks and mantling with them, them with grain, even the meadows and valleys shout for joy and sing to God. Isn't that such wonderful imagery of, of a meadow singing to God? And this is, so this isn't just a nature that just sits there. This is a nature that is alive and kicking. As I've re reflected on these ideas and experiences, I found, myself deeper, I've, I found myself drawn deeper and deeper into this world of creation described in Psalm 65. Uh, framing nature and the environment as a part of God's creation has helped drive my interest for the subject, manifesting itself in my environmental studies major back in North Carolina and other campus involvements at my school. At the same time, I've become more and more aware of the numerous environmental problems and issues facing us. You know, before I had gone to the school, I had heard of terms like climate change, global warming, thrown around in the classroom and in the news. But it was there where I first kind of became invested into it, and there where I first learned about other problems and issues facing our society. For example, we have a huge problem with waste and trash in society. Um, 
if you, if you can, raise your hands if you can think of anything that you threw away today or anything that you're using that you know you're going to throw away into the trash can by the end of the day. Everyone should basically be raising their hands with that one. Um, so, again, we have, a lot of, we have a big waste problem. And one of the things that we waste a lot of is food. So in 2016, to make it local for you New Yorkers, the New York Department of Sanitation collected approximately 3.7 million tons of waste from residential and institutional waste streams. That does not count all the commercial stuff that we throw away in that sector. Of this, 1.1 million tons of the 3.7 were organic materials that we could have otherwise composted or reused in some other way. So that's just like this huge number. Like, I can't really help you picture 1.1 million tons. That's a, that's a lot of stuff. And that's just New York City. And yeah, sure, New York just started a composting program, which all of you should be participating in, I hope. Um, and Mary de Blasio did just announce a zero waste plan in the 1NYC program to you know, reduce waste made in the city. But how long until these plans actually take effect? How long until we actually see the changes? especially when we're in an age where everything has to happen now and have, everything has to be fast. How long? How long do we have to wait for those things to happen? Uh, so with reality setting in and no longer able to uh, you know, hide in my idyllic Maine wilderness school, um, being back in Charlotte, I began to ask myself that, a similar question. What should I ought to do then? What do I do if I really see God in the earth? I found my answer in, to this question in a familiar place. It's actually in the same book of the Bible that I read from earlier. It's in Psalm 8, um, where the writer sets out a similar scene to that in Psalm 65, where God is great and worthy of all praise and glory. The psalmist writes, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. I consider your heavens and the works of your fingers, the moons and the stars which you have set in place. But in verse 4, the psalmists make a, psalmist makes a shift and asks a question. It's a pretty familiar question, and it's something I'm sure we've all asked before and we don't really have an answer to. So they continue in verse 4, What is humankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Ooh, that's pretty deep, isn't it? Um, and it, I'm sure it sounds familiar too. It's a question that's lasted throughout the centuries with a countless number of people putting in their answers to the question of who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? And to make the question more complicated, the psalmist write, sets up the question by first laying out some ground rules, right? He says that there's this God that has set the glories in heavens, that, is the, that this God is the one who made the heavens and creation and made it all set into place. For the writer of this psalm, humankind is not the sole occupants of this earth. No, we are set up as subjects of this omnipotent God described earlier. So the question isn't just, you know, why are we here? What am I supposed to do? But why am I here? Why, what am I supposed to be do? What am I supposed to be doing? Knowing that there's this huge unbounded force that controls the heavens just kind of like sitting up on top of me. It adds a lot more of a weight to the question, doesn't it? We can even expand this outwards to apply to this environmental context I was talking to you about. Again, who am I, an individual, 
that I can make a difference with climate change or with food waste or whatever else problems in the world that it might be. It's a big question of an age where we are just individuals in a world filled with 7.5 billion others. Yeesh. If we continue, however, the writer offers an answer. The psalmist writes, you know, to God, O God, O Lord, you have made them a little lower, them being us, humankind, made them a little lower than the angels and have crowned them with glory and with honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything underneath their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So here we get a response to that question in verse 4 of who are we? Why are we here? For the psalmist, the answer lies in our relationship to the rest of God's creation. They say, you, God, made them, us humans, ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything underneath our feet. So it looks like we've been given a purpose, at least according to the psalmist. Humanity, while we are nothing compared to all that is God, is important because we've been given a specific duty. God has given us responsibility over all the rest of the creation, all the other things that God set in motion with his hands. Over the flocks and the herds of the wild, over the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea. And even though it's not specifically said, I'm sure God isn't forgetting about the plants and trees, the streams and the oceans, or even your little leaf. But then the question, I guess, as we follow this rabbit hole, how does the question becomes, how does this ruling over the works of God's, God's hand manifest itself? For some, the command to rule over something else means power. It means having the freedom to force one's desires, needs, and priorities onto someone or something else. For example, I'm sure that some people might interpret the way we treat the rainforests as, and cut down its trees and destroys acres and acres of land as fulfilling this commandment to rule over God's creation. After all, that land was given to us, and we can do whatever we want with it, can't we? But this idea of cutting down trees whenever we want and burning the land doesn't really fit with my understanding of verse 5. I mean, it's, it's fine to go out and cut a tree, I guess, if you need firewood or you need, a, need lumber to build a house. But shouldn't those things ought to be done responsibly? For me, ruling over the earth does not mean oppressing or manipulating it. I believe that we've been called to follow a model of stewardship, where we take care of something that is not ultimately ours, but God's. After all, Psalm 8 clearly states how the right to rule was given to us by God. Just as we take, so too, so too should we make sure to leave something behind for the trees, for the birds, for the next generation of people following us. As some might say, leave the planet better than you found it. Um, and so one way that I've tried to live out this idea of stewardship, um, just to give you a short story, is by working at the Davidson Office of Sustainability. Davidson College is where I go to school um, down in North Carolina. So there, with the Office of Sustainability, I, with other students, manage the school's composting program, where we help compost all of the food waste from the school's dining facilities. Every week, I walk to the outskirts of campus, where the Davidson Grounds crew is based, and there waiting for me are several bright red barrels filled with leftover and uneaten food from the previous day. Each barrel weighs anywhere from between 60 to 100 pounds, so they're, they're pretty heavy things, guys, um, and contain an assortment of salad greens, leftover hamburger patties, used napkins, 
and melon rinds just to give you an image to work with. And that changes um, after each day. It's a, wonderful, it's a wonderful sight to behold. So with my partner for the day, we lift each barrel, lifting with our legs, of course, and dump the leftover food into a large container, listening to the sound of wet food hit metal. Imagine taking a wet towel, a sopping wet towel, and just throwing it onto the ground. That splat sound. That's what we hear every time we dump those barrels into the big metal container. There, this slop is mixed together with dead leaves, wood chippings, and mulch by two rotating metal blades, which, and then is transferred over to this big white drum that slowly turns, cooking the brown meatloaf-like mixture of food and dirt and encouraging bacteria to chow down on the nutrients locked away in the food. Great images, aren't they? After three days, this mixture is carried away by a conveyor belt and dumped into a large pile on the other side of this kind of like, there's like a wall separating. It's dumped on the other side of the wall where this pile just sits until it reaches an internal temperature of around 130 degrees Fahrenheit. So it gets pretty hot in there. Um, after a few days, you see steam wafting up from the surface. It's actually a very interesting sight. You can actually, as you're walking to this compound, you kind of, you sometimes see the steam coming out because the compost is just cooking so much. And if you dig a bit underneath, there's actually a layer of white ash where the compost has been burned because, again, the pile is getting so hot, the bacteria are getting so excited that everything above it just burns up. In a few weeks, this pile will have been moved three more times and will be ready to be taken back to campus where it's spread onto tree beds and gardens. Our leftover pizza crusts and chicken bones have become fertilizer for rose bushes and oak trees. Instead of flies and scrunched up noses, now there are bumblebees and people stopping by to enjoy the smell. It's kind of like what Lee and Emily were talking about, that this is the extra stuff that goes into making those plants grow and be nurtured. So now with that, with that story in mind, let's everyone go back to your leaf. What kind of thoughts went through your mind as you looked at the leaf? Did you, like me, imagine each little cell and the processes that go through them every single day? Or was your mind drawn to something different? Maybe you thought about how each leaf of a tree forms themselves into the same shape, into the same exact shape. Every single one of them is so close to being, is so close to be, to being identical. Maybe you could see in your mind's eye the way, how, of the way the leaf blossoms out from the branches and grows before you least expect it. Or maybe you didn't think of any of those things and you're drawn to something else, completely different. No matter what you thought about, I ask that you don't forget about your connection to the leaf. Just as this leaf was born from a tree planted and watered by someone out in Central Park, um, so too are we here in this world thanks to the work that this leaf does. For the, services it, for the services it provides. Um, in the same way, let us not forget about our relationship to the rest of creation. According to Psalm 8, taking care of the works of God's hands is one of the ways that people can find their worth. It's one of the ways that we can answer that question of who am I, what are we supposed to do? However, we ought not to be reckless with these responsibilities given to us. You know, while science and knowledge have given us the power to construct and build wonderful things from skyscrapers to iPhones, this wonderful church building that we're in today, what we're doing isn't really creation in the most basic terms, isn't it? All we're doing is simply reconstructing things, taking little blocks, construction blocks, little Legos maybe if you want to think about it that way, taking little Lego pieces and building them something into something else. 
We must be careful not to disrupt the careful balance given to us, lest we are unable to fix it. Remember what the, psalm, uh, the writer of Psalm 65 says. Praise awaits you, our God in Zion. But it's not just the people that praise God, but all the rest of creation as well. From the flocks and the herds to the meadows and the valleys. Let us work together so that all of creation can shout for joy and sing. Amen.